The losses have started to pile up a little bit for the Orioles here before the All-Star break. And one thing it's certainly telling us is that the O's are going to need to add some help at the trade deadline. Should they get a starting pitcher? Yeah. Should they get a reliever? Yeah. Maybe they can do it all in one deal. Talk about who they could go after at the deadline, plus recap another loss to the Yankees, and talk about CNL Perez's trip to the IL coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, July 5th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap another Orioles loss as they fell 8-4 to four to the New York Yankees on Tuesday afternoon. The O's have now dropped 6 out of 7 in what is by far their roughest stretch of the season so far and lead the Yankees by just two games now for the first wild card. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including Aaron Hicks getting some revenge over the Yankees, Cedric Mullins continuing to struggle, and a little bit of a bounce-back start at times from Kyle Gibson. Then I'll talk a bit about the Orioles' roster moves from Tuesday as CNL Perez, just as he was starting to find his 2022 form, sent to the injured list. Talk about the other moves that were made and what that means for the O's. And finally, take a look at some trade candidates for the Orioles as we are less than a month away from the deadline. The O's should probably get a starter and a reliever for their pitching staff, but I'm going to talk about some deals where they could get both from just one team. And that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper picks and you could win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So we start today's episode with, unfortunately, another Orioles loss. That makes it six losses in their last seven games for the O's. The four-game losing streak that they snapped on Sunday, that was their longest losing streak. This is their worst seven-game stretch of the season as the O's fall 8-4 to to the Yankees on Tuesday afternoon. They have now dropped the first two of this four-game series in the Bronx. With the loss, the Orioles go to 49-35 and on the season, and the Yankees, creeping closer, are now just two games behind the Orioles for that number one AL wildcard spot. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 8-4 loss to the Yankees. And the first thing you need to know is, on the bright side, Aaron Hicks got his revenge on the Yankees. Now, we know how Hicks got to Baltimore. Struggled the last few years with New York, getting booed every time he stepped on the field in a Yankee uniform the last two or three seasons. The Yankees DFA and release him. And just after that happens, Cedric Mullins goes on the injured list with the groin issue. And the Orioles decide, well, let's go pick up Aaron Hicks. They do that. He joins the Orioles offense and has a 140 WRC plus in June. Was huge, keeping the O's afloat while Mullins was out. Now, Hicks has struggled a little bit over the past two weeks, kind of falling back into some of the things he did in a Yankee uniform. But you know he had this series circled on his calendar, his return to Yankee Stadium. And while he didn't do much on Monday night, he did have a single in the eighth inning, he really got the revenge in this one on Tuesday. His solo home run in the fifth inning off of Yankee starter Clark Schmidt 
put the Orioles on the board. Hicks was fired up. He dropped the bat and watched it sail into the right field bleachers, took his time around the bases. He was yelling when he rounded first. That was an awesome moment for Aaron Hicks, who basically completely mistreated by Yankees fans. All accounts is he's a great teammate, great clubhouse guy, was just struggling. And Yankee fans just made it worse. And and they are truly obsessed with Aaron Hicks, just as they are with Joey Gallo and a few other guys who have struggled in a Yankee uniform. And even when he leaves, they're not done being obsessed with booing him and cheering for his downfall at every turn. It's incredibly weird behavior. It's classic Yankees fans. And it was awesome to see Hicks hit that home run in the fifth inning, 99 miles per hour off the bat, 372 feet. To make it a 3-1 to game, and uh, he drew a walk later in the game as well. Made a really good throw in from left field. Almost got an outfield assist. Hicks showed off what the Yankees were missing in Tuesday's game. Second thing you need to know from this one is the rest of that fifth inning rally from the Orioles that tied the game at three came off the bat of Adam Frazier, who hit his 10th home run of the season on Tuesday. It was a two-run shot off of Clark Schmidt in that same fifth inning after a Jordan Westberg double that tied the game at three. Frazier hitting it high into the air, but at Yankee Stadium, 378 feet is plenty deep enough to go out in right field for a two-run shot. And for Adam Frazier, that is his 10th home run with the Orioles this year. Remember, we are just past the halfway point of the season. We are not even at the All-Star break, and Frazier has 10 homers. His career high is 10 home runs. 2018 and 2019, he hit 10 homers in each of those years. He's upped the power in an Oriole uniform. He's had his fallbacks with the O's this year, but the power has been there, and a lot of his home runs have come in huge, huge spots. That was another one to tie the game on Tuesday. Flipping to the offense struggling side of things, third thing you need to know from the Orioles' 8-4 loss to the Yankees is that Cedric Mullins continues to scuffle since coming off the injured list. Since the O's activated him from that groin injury when he missed just about a month with the injury, Mullins has not been good. 5 for 35. That is a 143 batting average since coming off the injured list. Mullins had another offer in the loss on Tuesday. He did draw a walk in the eighth inning in his final plate appearance, but otherwise he was 0 for 3 with a strikeout, just one hard hit ball. His average down to 245, OPS down to 766 on the year. The 5 for 35 has definitely been tough. It's included 10 strikeouts as well. And it kind of all snowballed a little bit in the fifth inning defensively as well, because even when the bat's been cold, he's been great in center field since coming back, made that just unbelievable catch in center in the win over the Twins on Sunday. But just a lapse from Cedric Mullins in what ended up being the go-ahead run for the Yankees with a 3-2 count and two down and a runner on first in a 3-3 game in the bottom of the fifth. Glaber Torres at first takes off on the pitch. Giancarlo Stanton grounds one into center field for a base hit. Now Torres, who was running on the pitch, is obviously going to go first to third. But Mullins picks it up and kind of lackadaisically just lobs it into second base. And his throw was on one hop. It wasn't a good one. Adam Frazier couldn't handle it. And Glaber Torres, credit to him and the Yankees' third base coach, he never stopped running. And he scored from first on a single to center without a throw to the plate. It was not a great look from Mullins. It's nothing that's going to get him benched or should get him benched. He knows better. He's a great fielder. It was just a little lapse. But it kind of does snowball into the struggles off the IL. He will turn it around because he was great before the injury this year. But I'm hoping there's no lingering effects. And I'm hoping he didn't come back too early from that groin issue. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 8-4 loss to the Yankees, switching it over to the pitching side, is Kyle Gibson was better. He was much better than his last two starts. 
He kept the Orioles in this game, but he wasn't exactly great in this one. Gibson goes six innings, allowing four runs on just three hits, but he walked four batters along with four strikeouts and did give up one home run. 104 pitches was a season high for Gibson, and it raised his ERA to now 4.73 on the season. Yankees had seven hard hit balls against him, which honestly is not bad in six innings, and only three hits, pretty impressive. Now, the day did not start off well for Kyle Gibson. He started the game by walking Anthony Rizzo on four pitches. Then he allowed a monster two-run homer to Glaber Torres. Then allowed a one-out double to Jake Bowers before getting back-to-back strikeouts to get out of the first inning. Then he settled down a bit, a scoreless second, a scoreless third. Gave up a run in the fourth. And then I honestly think that run in the fifth on the single where Torres scored, I feel like that should have been ruled an error and should have been an unearned run because Gibson did strike out the next hitter to end the inning. So maybe he only deserves three earned runs. And it was nice to see him after that terrible first inning and the bad luck that ensued get through six innings. That was big for him. And remember, his last two starts coming in were by far his worst two starts in an Oriole uniform. So good to see him get through six. It was better. He needs to pitch better than this. Like, this cannot be the standard for Kyle Gibson at this point. But at least it was a step in the right direction when he had taken back-to-back steps in the wrong direction. I mean, he did have 14 whiffs in this game, seven whiffs on 14 sweepers that he threw. He threw a lot of sweepers in this game, the most he's thrown all season. So steps forward, I would say, from Kyle Gibson, even though he still wasn't at his best and wasn't at the really good level he was pitching at earlier in the year. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that it was another rough day for the Orioles' bullpen in this game. Bullpen took over in the seventh with the O's trailing 4-3. to three. Nick Vespi came in. He allowed a solo homer, then allowed two more runners on base, left the game with two on, two down. Brian Baker comes in, allows a walk, and then a two-run double. So all three runs charged to Vespi. Baker wasn't charged with an earned run, but did not get the outs that he needed. And then Bruce Zimmerman came in. He did allow an unearned run in the top, bottom of the eighth inning, I should say, but a run allowed as well. Nobody was good out of the pen, kind of very similar to the loss on Monday. Nobody was good out of the pen, and the Orioles just, it was too much as the Yankees pulled away against the bullpen and won the game over the Orioles 8-4, to despite the Orioles for the second straight game out hitting the Yankees. Couldn't get the runs on the board. Had a big chance in the sixth. First and second, no outs. Loaded the bases with two outs, but Mullins, O'Hearn, and Westberg couldn't come through, and that was kind of their last big chance of the game and the O's have now lost six out of seven but the O's did make a couple of roster moves before the game on Tuesday as well unfortunately it wasn't for good reason it was really because CNL Perez is heading to the injured list now early in the season that wouldn't be as much of an issue but Perez has been pitching very well lately the O's couldn't afford to lose another good reliever but that's what happened so coming up next talk about Perez's injury the roster moves they made around it, and what the O's will do in the bullpen during his absence. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Sleeper. Are you using the Sleeper app for daily fantasy baseball? Well, I am, because I am taking some hitters every single night to try and go yard. I'm looking at Otani pretty much every night because he hits a lot of homers. But I'm also looking at guys like Ryan O'Hearn. He's got a good matchup, or maybe Adley Rutschman. And I'm looking at the stat lines, and I'm trying to put together a good lineup. And if you want to 
Multiply your money 100 times on Daily Fantasy Baseball. Sleeper is now offering up to a 100 times payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like and pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right and you could win big. You might say, oh, will Adley Rutschman have, you know, zero or more than one doubles? And I would say, well, maybe I think Adley will go with two doubles tonight. And you take more than that. And when you go on the app, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. So the Orioles fell to the Yankees 8-4 on Tuesday afternoon, little 1 o'clock game on the 4th of July. And the O's have now lost 6 out of 7, by far their worst stretch of the season. And that wasn't the only piece of bad news from Tuesday. They also lost another reliever from the bullpen. As we found out before the game Tuesday that CNL Perez had been placed on the 15-day injured list with forearm soreness. Now, the injury is retroactive to Monday, July 3rd. So the earliest he could come back is July 18th, which is a couple days after the end of the All-Star break. Not a terrible time to put a guy on the IL because, again, you have the All-Star break in the middle, so you're not missing as many games that may have gone into this decision, but still a little bit concerning. Now, for Perez, the first thing the Orioles did say when Brandon Hyde was asked about the injury before the game Tuesday, he said, not a high level of concern for the injury to Perez. However, it's tough to not have a high level of concern on a forearm injury because not all the time, And not even like half the time, but a lot of the time, a forearm injury, when a guy goes on the I.O. with forearm tightness or forearm soreness, that a lot of times is the first indicator that something larger is going on, specifically something in the elbow is going on. You know the first word of the Dylan Tate injury? Remember, he still hasn't pitched this year and isn't anywhere close to doing so. You know what the first word of that was? Forearm soreness for Dylan Tate in the winter. And we're still here in July. He hasn't pitched in the big leagues. You know what the initial diagnosis was for John Means when he left that start last April? Forearm tightness. Then it turned into Tommy John surgery, and we still haven't seen him back on a mound since then. That has happened for a lot of other guys where forearms are the first step. Now, Brandon Hyde said again and again on Tuesday, low level of risk, low level of concern, just a little soreness. They said that Perez felt it while he was playing catch on Monday, felt the soreness for the first time. So it's good that he didn't feel it in his last outing on the mound. It was more so in a side session, but still concerning, right? Like you don't want to have any pitcher have any kind of forearm issue. So what's next? Well, they did recall Bruce Zimmerman to kind of take his place as a lefty in the bullpen. Zimmerman, who was just optioned on Friday, but because he's replacing a pitcher on the injured list. He can come back sooner than the 15-day allotment. Yeah, Zimmerman hasn't been amazing. He did pitch the eighth inning in Tuesday's loss. They really like his slider. The data on the slider is really good as he's kind of changed his arsenal, gotten away from the fastball. I'm fine with Zimmerman being the long guy in the bullpen right now. I don't mind that. He's he's not too bad out there for the O's. But the big thing is the loss of Cena Perez, right? Like, it's not what you want right now. Now, early in the season, When Perez was struggling mightily, this would be a different story. You'd say, well, it's tough to lose him out of the bullpen, but hey, maybe this is a chance for him to reset. This is not one of those, you know, find an injury situations where you need to get a guy off the roster, but you don't want to DFA him. You know, maybe 
what maybe what the O's did with Keegan Aiken a couple of days ago, but this is not one of those. You could maybe argue it is if this were a month ago and Perez were still pitching poorly. But CNL Perez has put together five consecutive scoreless outings, allowed just two hits over his last six innings in those outings. The fastballs looked better, the sliders looked better, the command has been better, hasn't been getting hit as hard. It's been, I won't say the 2022 version of CNL Perez, but much, much closer, and probably the closest we've seen to the 2022 version of Perez so far this season. So pretty much the worst timing possible for Perez to sustain an injury like this. Now, hopefully... It is just the 15 days. It helps the week off in the All-Star break so he doesn't miss as many games. And he's back on July 18th, as the O's say. But you never know with the forearms for pitchers. You just have to be super, super careful. So in the meantime, Bruce Zimmerman is here. Aiken and Perez now both on the IL. You got Zimmerman and Vespi, the lefties in the pen, along with Danny Coulomb. It just kind of feels like the O's need D.L. Hall right now. And I get, you know, he's in Sarasota. He's working out. He's building up the strength, trying to get the velocity back. He's not throwing in games. He's kind of throwing on the backfields, doing a lot of side sessions. We haven't heard an update in about a week or so on D.L. Hall. Whenever they can get him ready, throw him in a couple of AAA games again out of the bullpen, and then you need to jet him right to Baltimore to join this pen. Because without Perez... Without Aiken, with, you know, Vespi and Zimmerman still shaky, not trusting them a lot. Love Danny Coulomb. He's a great lefty. But D.L. Hall, the O's bullpen just needs this in general, and especially with the Perez injury, especially if it lasts more than the 15 days, they're going to need him here. Now, the O's did make another move on Wednesday. James McCann is back from that sprained ankle. They activated their backup catcher off the 10-day injured list, and as usual, Orioles fans had a complete freakout session when James McCann came back, and Anthony Benboom, who had been serving as the backup catcher while McCann was injured, didn't immediately get DFA'd or go to AAA, and everyone complains wildly like the Orioles are going to carry three catchers for the rest of eternity, even though every single time this year that the O's have carried three catchers, they haven't done it for more than two or three days. It's just a matchup thing. They're just doing it in case they want to DH Adley a little bit more. This time, I honestly think... Today, at some point, Anthony Benboom will be DFA'd or at least optioned. Probably DFA'd to make room for a pitcher. Now, to get McCann coming off the IL, they did option Chris Valamont, who came up on Saturday, pitched a scoreless inning on Monday, and he is back down in the minors. He was never going to stay for long, as I mentioned when I talked about him on Monday's episode. But they're going to bring up another arm to replace Benboom. The reason why they carried the three catchers on Tuesday is because they knew they were going to DH Adley. It was a day game after a night game. With McCann coming back, they knew they wanted to start McCann. But because McCann struggles to the plate a little bit, they figured, hey, if it's a close game, we may pinch hit for McCann late, and we'd like to have that third catcher there so Ben Boom could go in defensively, and you don't have to burn the DH and have the pitcher in the lineup. But because Adley will be back behind the dish on Wednesday... And the Orioles don't want to carry 12 pitchers. They want to get back to the 13. They were carrying 12 pitchers for Tuesday's game. Ben Boom's going to get DFA'd. They're going to add a pitcher. Don't worry about it. One day with three catchers, it's not going to kill you. That was the plan all along. I mean, at most, maybe he stays for a couple more days if they want to DH Adley again later this week. But he's going to be gone. They'll probably add an arm to the 40-man roster once again. Maybe an Edward Bizzardo, Darwinson Hernandez, Joey Crable, Wandison Charles, all 
potential options. Grayson Rodriguez pitching Tuesday night doesn't really make him an option. So those are guys who could come join the bullpen as the O's will most likely make that move and get back to the 13 pitchers, get back to the eight-man bullpen for Wednesday's game. But those kind of moves, the rotating bullpen, Perez to the IL, Aiken to the IL, we have no idea if we're going to get anything from Dylan Tate and Michael Givens this year. Some suspects starting pitching at times. Don't really know when John Means will be back. I think we can all agree the O's need to add at least one and maybe two arms at the trade deadline. I think we can agree, hey, let's go get a starter and a reliever. What if you use big brain and you got both those things in one trade? That's what I'm trying to parse out coming up next. What teams could the O's deal with and what pitchers could they get where they could get a starter and a reliever in one deal? That's coming up next. So after the Orioles fell to the Yankees 8-4 on Tuesday afternoon, they have dropped the first two games of this four-game series. Looking to get back on track here on Wednesday, trying to at least salvage and split this series. And that starts with getting a victory on Wednesday, getting out of that rut. It's a 7.05 p.m. Eastern time start tonight. Dean Kramer takes the ball for the Orioles. Yankees, as of recording here on Tuesday evening, has not yet named a Wednesday starter. We'll see who it ends up being. But Kramer goes for the Orioles, and you can listen to every pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of tonight's Game 3 between the O's and the Yanks on the SSXM app through SiriusXM. Just search Orioles when you download the app. But for the O's, it's becoming apparent. They're going to need to make some additions at the trade deadline. For me, Losing six out of seven doesn't say the sky is falling, this team is dead, they're going to sell, they're not finishing over 500, they're not making the playoffs like it does for some of you. You can't go through a 162-game baseball season like that. Teams go through rough stretches. The 1983 World Series winning Orioles had two separate seven-game losing streaks, and they still won the World Series. This Orioles team hasn't had a losing streak longer than four, so let's all relax a little bit. Teams go through rough stretches. Couldn't be a better time for the All-Star break to be coming up soon. But that still means... You'll probably need to add at the deadline. We've been saying it all along. A starting pitcher would be nice. And as the middle relief has started to falter, we said a reliever would be nice too because I don't think Gibbons and Tate are coming back anytime soon, if at all, this season. So the question is, who would the Orioles go after? Now, there's a lot of good options who I'm not going to mention here because I want to focus specifically on rentals. Now, I get maybe you don't want the Orioles to go after a rental player. Rental means they are a free agent after this season. So you would trade for them. You would get them for a couple of months. And then if you didn't re-sign them, they'd be gone. And they'd leave and go somewhere else in free agency. Now, the O's always have the option to re-sign them. But if John Angelos has showed us anything, he's not one to spend a lot of money in free agency. But rentals are still good because they're helpful. Because, again, they help you get better. And they're cheaper. And when the Orioles have a deep, deep farm system... Another draft coming up in four days. And the fact that they have so many good prospects, especially close to the big leagues, that they just can't play. There's no room for them. You might as well trade them away instead of letting them rot in the minors and get some good major league players that can help you. Specifically, you have too many position players in the minors, not enough pitchers. There's a pretty easy deal to be made right there. But I wanted to look at rentals specifically because although, you know, you could make an argument that, hey, they shouldn't go after rentals. They are cheaper. And I'm worried that pitching could be at a premium at this year's deadline, and pitching could cost a lot. So the rentals will be a little bit cheaper. So I put together on Twitter on Tuesday my top five rental starting pitcher wants. 
And then I looked at it and got some tweets about this too. And I said, you know what? They could probably tack on some rental relievers to each of these deals as well. So here are my top five wish list for rental starting pitchers on the trade market. And I've attached a rental reliever to each of them that would be great for the O's if they could get thrown into the deal as well. Start with number five. That is the veteran righty Kyle Hendricks from the Chicago Cubs. Hendricks returning back in late May from a shoulder injury that kept him out for almost a year. He's been good. He's been vintage Hendricks since coming back. A 2.81 ERA in seven starts. He'd be super cheap to get. I'd pair him with Michael Fulmer, who the Cubs signed to a one-year deal this offseason. Fulmer has a 4.50 ERA in 38 innings this year. Doesn't look great. But he was horrendous the first two months of the year. He's been awesome since then. Since the start of June, Fulmer has pitched 16 innings out of the Cubs' bullpen. Just one earned run in that span. He was really good out of the pen with the Tigers the last few years. Traded around a couple of times. Those two could be really helpful and I think would come really cheap for the Orioles. Number four on the list is Lance Lynn. Now, it's tough to look at Lynn's ERA this season, a 6.47 ERA. He does have a 27% strikeout rate, which is good. And he's thrown 96 innings, which is more than any of these other guys on this list and would put him on pace to lead the Orioles in innings this year. And innings are important. Now, a 6.47 ERA isn't great. But he did have a 3.99 ERA last year. So he's been much better the last few years. Maybe a change of scenery out of the just debacle that is the Chicago White Sox would really help him out. He did have a 16 strikeout game earlier this season. So he's still got the good stuff, the big burly right-hander. I think he could help the O's. And I'd love to see them tack on a guy like Keenan Middleton, the 29-year-old right-handed reliever in that deal. Again, a pending free agent. Middleton's been good this year. 30 innings out of the White Sox pen, a 2.70 ERA. 32% strikeout rate to just a 9% walk rate. League average is about a 22% K rate, so that's really high. And a 58% ground ball rate is almost Yenye Cano levels of ground balls. He's been great this year and I think would really help the O's in middle relief. Number three on the list is Jordan Montgomery, the left-handed pitcher from the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, Orioles fans should know Montgomery well because he was with the Yankees for years and years and had some, I'd say, mixed results against the Orioles in his career. Had about a four ERA against Baltimore, but he knows how to pitch in the AL East, and I think he'd be a good addition as a lefty to the Orioles' rotation. Now, at last year's deadline, Montgomery was traded over to the Cardinals for Harrison Bader in a one-for-one swap. He's been good for the Cardinals this year, and they're going nowhere, and I think they're going to sell some of their rental pieces at the deadline. He's got a 3.28 ERA this season, but he had a 1.71 ERA in June, and then he opened July with a six and two-thirds inning scoreless start. Montgomery is trending in the right direction, I think would be an awesome add to the Orioles rotation, and I'd pair him with another Jordan. Give me Jordan Hicks in that deal as well. Yes, he has the 103 mile per hour sinker that he throws that is almost unhittable. Now, early in the year, Hicks couldn't throw any strikes, but he started to pull it back together. He found the strike zone lately. His walks were way down in June and July so far, and he still has a 3.93 ERA. Now, a 14% walk rate isn't great, but a 34% strikeout rate is very good. Jordan Hicks would certainly help this bullpen. Number two on my list, is the former Orioles minor leaguer. I would take Eduardo Rodriguez back in a second. Now, Rodriguez isn't like a full-on rental. He does have a couple more years in his contract with Detroit, but he has a player opt-out in the contract after the 2023 season. And with how well Rodriguez has pitched, 
he can easily get a lot more money if he opts out. So as long as he stays healthy, he's most likely opting out of this deal, which does make him pretty much a rental player and a pending free agent. Now, Rodriguez is currently on the injured list, but he's throwing some rehab starts and he's going to be back pretty soon from this finger injury. But before he went on the IL, he was amazing. Remember, he took that perfect game into, what, the seventh inning against the Orioles earlier this year at Camden Yards. In 11 starts before the injury, a 2.13 ERA and a 26% strikeout rate. He had been really, really good. That'd be an awesome help to the Orioles' pen. I would pair him with the rental reliever, the right-hander, Jose Cisnero. Cisnero in 33 innings for the Tigers this year, 2.18 ERA, 26% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate, but he did not allow an earned run in the entire month of June. He is pitching better recently. Wouldn't be a back-end guy, but you get him in the sixth, much better out of the pen than what the O's have going right now. And my number one choice for a rental starting pitcher right now at the deadline for the O's as we are less than a month away from that deadline is Lucas Giolito, the right-hander for the White Sox, who is really, I think, still maybe the ace of the staff. Maybe you could say he's number two behind Dylan Cease at this point, but, you know, Cy Young contender a couple years ago, had some great seasons. Didn't have a good year last year, but he's bouncing back this season in a contract year, a 3.53 ERA for Giolito, 26% strikeout rate, and a 2.32 ERA in June, similar to a lot of these other pitchers, getting better as the season goes on. Giolito, I think, would be just kind of the perfect add with the age. You know, he's a little younger. The stuff is there. You know, he's having a bounce-back season. And I think he's a guy who, yeah, he's going to be expensive, but maybe could be in the O's price range if he comes over to Baltimore, pitches well, leads him to the playoffs as their number one guy, and just really likes it here. Seems to be a good guy off the field as well. I would really like to add Giolito to this team. And the reliever I would put with him is Joe Kelly, the veteran right-hander who has been in the bigs for a long, long time. But he's having another pretty productive season. 27 innings. Yes, he does have a 4-3-3 ERA. But a 2.78 FIP tells me that the White Sox terrible defense has kind of hurt Joe Kelly throughout the season. 30% strikeout rate well above league average. 8% walk rate right at league average. He's gotten his walks down this year, with his, which is good. And again, a 2.61 ERA in June. So getting better as the season goes on. I don't know exactly what each of those you know starter and reliever rental packages would cost in terms of Orioles prospects. I think he got to be ready to maybe give up a guy like a Connor Norby or a Cesar Prieto or maybe a Joey Ortiz or someone like that to get some of these pitchers. And I get you might only get them for a couple of months before they become free agents. But I know the O's have lost six out of seven, but they are a good baseball team. They're 14 games above 500. They still hold the number one wild card in the American League more than halfway through the season. This is a playoff team. And once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. So yes, it would be better to get guys with team control that'll be on your roster beyond 2023. But if there are talented rentals out there who aren't costing an absurd amount of prospects, go get them. You got the prospect depth to fill those guys in. And the most important thing is being good at the major league level. The Orioles are that right now, but they have some holes to plug up. Some of these pitchers, these starters and relievers could help fill out those holes. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, watching, and listening. I'll be back tomorrow for a little Thursday pod, recapping Game 3 between the Orioles and the Yankees. Hopefully, it is an O's W, and we'll be doing some draft talk tomorrow. Joe Doyle is joining us from the Future Stars series once again to preview the MLB draft from an Orioles perspective. 
What do they do differently picking at number 17? Who could be there on the board? Who could they select? And who are some guys they can maybe target later in the draft as well? That's coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.